Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. All right, so today, product discovery, user research, all the fun stuff. Let's say that as a new PM or a new quarter, new strategy turnover, you are now given a new problem to solve or what have you. And you're kind of starting from zero to one. You have a mix of maybe some thing that you own and have to be responsible for, but also there's some work to do. So yeah, we're going to dive into that. Let's start off with the user research and maybe some of the things that Lou, you have been talking with your team about. Yeah. We kind of just got done doing all of our strategic planning and we're taking on a new area of, of Zero's code base. And it's new to our space, new to our platform technology group. And, you know, we have to start coming up with what are we putting on the roadmap? What are our goals going to be? And in this case, because it ties directly to some front end features and some front end feature developments, we're really taking the approach right now of you know, kind of sitting down and going, okay, well, let's go and understand how people do this. In particular, we're working on the file system for Zero. So that's everything from like our invoices to data that people upload to talk about, you know, just about anything in there. And in this case, we're kind of starting to look at it as a, as an opportunity. So the way that we've been approaching it is, okay, well, let's start researching, like, what does the market for files look like? How do other pieces of software use it? What does our competition do? And, you know, that's the process we're starting to undergo in order to eventually develop a really good roadmap for this new set of features and functionality. But I'm curious, I know, Kevin, it seems like you're talking about similar things right now. So what's, how does it relate for you? Maybe this is more enterprise B2B to C. User research question mark or my head's going out with this, but the thought was sometimes you're working with a product that the users might not be the decision makers and you have to convince the decision makers to buy the thing. And there's some layer of bureaucracy and all sorts of politics that goes in with enterprise product management. But the user themselves are the ones day to day, right? They're the ones in your product or maybe you have more of a 
product that doesn't have an interface and it is the day-to-day is through emails or through Zoom calls or what have you. You know, you might have RPs you're sending back and forth in the traditional sense, right? So we're kind of pursuing a strategy in a way to better understand our users, one, and then use that understanding to build a more informed product. And that's going to be a mix of a interface to facilitate some of that experience, as well as some really deep understanding of why they chose us as a product and making sure that that why is above and beyond for that customer. And so there's a lot of research that goes into it. There's user research, there's data, there's all sorts of things. But without an interface, it's it's so much harder because you're not getting those direct touch points as much, right? And so we're trying to figure out like the best way to collect that information and then also be able to experiment and test, especially being this new type of thing that you're putting in front of them, right? Where they're more traditionally interacting with the product over emails or or Zoom calls or what have you. And now maybe they won't or it's supported. We're still kind of experimenting on approaches here, but that's kind of where I was going out with that. So maybe for for you or for Jake, who just joined on as well, do you guys say are kind of the key elements, the key things people should be focusing on when you're doing product discovery? Now, Kevin, you listed out a bunch of things. I talked about a couple. The key things when we're talking about product discovery, the number one thing to focus on is just make sure you are totally dialed on the problem to solve. You have a very clear understanding of who has the problem and what the problem is and what the outcomes they're trying to accomplish are. So, I mean, basically just be really clear on your jobs to be done. The other thing just to keep in the back of your mind that I would recommend is just what is the the strategic context within which you're operating, right? So you have at the micro level, your individual persona that you're trying to serve, the problems that they have, the jobs that they're trying to accomplish and the outcomes they're trying to drive. But then within the broader strategic context of your company, what segment of the market are they a part of? And how can you think about the the needs of that particular group of people or organizations in the aggregate? And yeah, a little bit of balancing both, both the in, both the micro and the macro. So you're basically what you're saying is like, okay, deeply understand your users' jobs to be done, right? Is one or what your products maybe. Uh, I mean, you could look at it from the the direct user perspective, but in my case, where you have decision makers that you're interacting with and also users, like there's a variety of concerns there. Do you go from the product first to say, what job does that product solve? Or do you look at it from the everyday user? What does that solve for the everyday user? Yeah, I think it, well, it kind of depends on where you are in your product lifecycle. If you already have an existing product, then yeah, I think you're looking at the product that you have and how well it's serving these needs. And if the problems are changing over time too, if you're starting with a brand new product going from zero to one, then I mean, obviously you don't have a product to look at and how well it's doing. So you got nothing to start with, but the problems that people have. But even with a product though, like I still come back to the idea of just continuously checking in on those pain points and problems because as you have your product will solve certain problems but then it will create new problems over time too that those users didn't even know they had or the challenges they didn't even know they had it's like oh cool you gave me this new feature that's awesome but now here's the new reality so i think always starting there and anchoring with that reality which is hard it's really hard to do because And I'd be curious for your guys' thoughts on this because we get so dialed and so focused on solving the problems that we know and optimizing the product that we have for those known problems. How do you balance that with the reality that your problems are going to be changing on this continuum over time? Basically, how do you not get stuck solving stale problems 
and you are balancing solving those problems, but also with it, balancing it with an awareness that the problems are changing beneath your feet. I, I want to get back to your, you made a good point. I'll call it like, you call it macro micro, I call it usually internal, external, right? And you have like the internal problems, like what's base, what's right in front of our face? What do we know about today? Like what do our users complain about or some product, right? And then I think there's the, okay, well, how is this product not only positioned internally and what's its value to us internally, but what's its value to us externally? Like, could we go out because we have this product? Could we do something else in the market? Do we want to do something else in the market? If we did, what's that size? And I think you got to kind of do both simultaneously. Like that, so we just picked up a new product into our portfolio. And one of the things we sat down with a PM who's going to be owning it. And we just kind of brainstormed for a bit and just said, what are all the different questions that we would like to know? And that started for me, like I've always approached things kind of a little bit from an entrepreneur perspective. Like if I had to build this feature or this thing, what market would do it? Like who would be interested in it? How could we sell it? Like what, like what would be the value? What does it look like compared to other people? And what are the jobs we done externally? Like forgetting what we have today, like forgetting where we're positioned, like what does that look like? And I think that's part one. And then at the same time, we're solving part two, which is, okay, at the end of the day, if we make our core product better, we're hoping to improve retention. We're hoping to improve adoption. We're hoping to make our users' lives easier so that LTV, that long-term value in a SaaS product stays there. So that you're going to ask a different set of questions. You're going to ask what their users' pain points, what types of things they like in this feature. Do we even care about this feature, right? Like that's the other piece, like you should always be asking yourself, does it actually matter? Do we care about this product? Is it viable? And then last but not least is kind of, okay, now that we've done all of this, how do we tie the two together? And do we tie the two together? Are we just developing for those internal customers or are we developing for an external audience that we want to bring into our product suite? And I think that's a really good conversation that you should have with marketing. You should have with sales. You should have with everybody. So through this whole process, you're working externally, you're working internally. And then once you have all of that data staring you straight in the face, then you create your strategy from it. You know, you don't start with nothing, yeah. you get all that together and then you build your strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the macro of the industry is like, what are the moments in time that the industry is struggling with? Now your customers in the context of the industry, what are they struggling with? And then where does your product fit into their lives? Does it actually participate? Like, does it make a, a primary dent in their job or is this like a yeah, it just has to do the thing. Like, I don't want to fixate it. I don't, I don't want to, you know, a huge relationship with it. I just, it just needs to do the job. You need to understand that full context, zooming in, zooming out, understanding the way of the world and then where your product fits into it in order, like what Lou was saying, to make these better investments. And so there's a variety of ways to do that. Some of the ways that we've been pursuing that has been, man, ChatGPT is amazing. I love that thing. Bing as well. Are you just chat GPTing you know, this podcast right now? Just asking you to write your script in real time? I don't know if you know this, but you're actually speaking to Kevin AI generated. No, I'm just kidding. This is, <laughs> I, they probably could build and build that. No, I, the way that we've done it, it just makes it, it's a, it's a good partner in, in thinking. So like being able to structure a argument or a document or research is helpful. But what I do like out of it is like, you know, 
you can call these things out or like if you're understanding what are those macro pain points of the industry, usually like you'll have like a, we have a advertising focused industry. So there'll be thought leading publications on this that will publish the projections for the next year. What will advertisers care about? Right. And so you can use that. You can also as a, as a source of this information, you could also use Bing. This is what I've used it for. Can you find me recent articles about this topic or something or this struggle or this moment? And that actually has resulted in a lot of good research as well. And so it's not just like a direct AI interpretation. It's actually just finding it, right, which is kind of nice. Regardless of that, one one tactic is like finding that those articles online or research papers or, or these things that articulate the industry pain point a little bit more in detail so you can better understand it. And then customer interviews, right? Customer interviews are huge in terms of understanding your customer pain points. Obviously, there are jobs to be done. But getting that rich information in those interviews, there's a way that can be very effective and a way that it could be not useful at all. Learning how to get better at customer interviews is only going to help you in your career. The biggest kind of takeaway that I try to lead with the team is, and to help educate them around how to do this right, is always ask about their life. You're not asking about your product. You're not asking about anything else. Like it's their life past experiences. It's an easiest way to get like the most rich context because they could be very like in the moment or very like appeasing of your product or the solution that you're trying to solve for, very validating, but you're not actually getting any meaty understanding. But if you say like, what was the last, when was the last time that you experienced that problem? And what did you do? And just walk me through that. You'll get so much rich context there that articulates their behavior without them understanding how that relates to your research so they're very like unprotected with that almost or like just transparent right it's like i'm just walking you through the sequence of events that happened versus like having to self-analyze and, and solve in their head as they're responding to your query so i find always asking about their lives or past events around a specific problem that your product solves for you will get so much more better richer results in that interview. So that's another tactic. But what are kind of some of those tactics that y'all go to aggregate this information? I do a lot of the same stuff you just mentioned. The first thing is like, you just got to understand what industry you're in. And I think, you know, you can kind of say like, okay, well, here's where we're at. And like, you know, start doing some research around it. I think the key thing is one part I was going to add there. When you do user interviews, it's really important to not ask leading questions, like to try and not interject bias into what you're doing. Like, Oh my God, would you think it would be great if blah, 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 blah existed in the world? It's like, that's so like leading. You don't want to do that. You want to ask people questions about like, what are they, you know, when you do this thing, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, you want to ask stuff that like really feeds you from a macro level trend. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like chat GPT, Google Bing, just start reaching out, looking for market stuff, right? Like try to build a competitive landscape and try to understand the segments. Because you can't approach any area like a massive monolith, right? Like if you were to say files or something like that, you'd say, okay, well, there's cloud data, there's data mining, there's file transfer technologies, there's file encryption technologies. Like what segment are we interested in or multi-segments are we interested in and who are the players? What do we care about with them? You know, so I think it's, you really want to get into there and ask the questions be smart, think about how to segment, think about like how to not approach it monolithically. And for the love of God, do never put into your presentation 
oh my God, this industry is like $10 billion in size, blah, 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 blah. I mean, like, no, you didn't really think about it. A large, yeah. 10, yeah, that like big, uh, hairy, audacious number. Yeah, that people just throw there. And it's like, dude, you didn't you didn't take a, 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 a minute to like dive down into that and like understand like the cross sections of the market. You know, you, you gotta be, yeah. gotta be targeted. <laughs> And now I find like, Jake, I'm curious to get your point of view on this. Where do you lean in in discovery for your team? Or what is that right discovery that you play? Like, what is the role as a leader, right? Where you're not on the yeah. individual teams doing the work. What are you doing for product discovery? It's a really good question. I find that the role that I usually play is usually setting up the structure or the framework. So to lose point, thinking about like client segmentation or a market segmentation analysis, what does that analysis look like? And how do I help facilitate that discussion and pull the right information out of people and help them understand why we're doing it? That's a big part of it. And then the other part is helping them, setting the right expectations for them of how to go about using that particular analysis or helping them set the right leading indicators or other KRs or KPIs on how we're evaluating our progress through product discovery. I think this is really important, when, especially when you're going from zero to one, is like you often have a really long runway until you get that product to market. And so how do you make sure you're not waking up in however many months going, oh shit, we did the wrong thing. And so are you helping the team set the right metrics to make sure we're on the right track and we're practicing product discovery in the right way? So tangibly, as an example, sometimes we set goals around how many touch points with clients or customers do you have through this process? We want to see 30 touch points. We want to see 40 touch points. Just making sure that we are quantifying and measuring good habits and good activities through the product discovery process. And we're not thinking about the outcomes that we're driving from the product until later right? Maybe that's a longer term OKR, but just making sure that we are making the right decisions and we're setting ourselves up through a metric story to hit those outcomes that maybe we may be expecting to hit several months from now. You said touch points. Tell me more about that. How would you measure touch points? Any interaction with a customer, with a user, with a client, that could be a research conversation. That could be a customer interview that like you were talking about earlier. That could be a survey. That could be putting a prototype in their hands that could be visiting them on site if it's a B2B product or shadowing them and how they use. It could be talking to your grandmother if that is a target user of your product, like getting some feedback from a probable user or consumer of what you're building. Or to go back to where we were earlier, like go to a person that has this problem you're trying to solve and just ask them like, is this solving your problem? How or how is it not? And just making sure that as a product team, you are making micro adjustments and making them frequently, as opposed to making these big, massive pivots infrequently. Like that's when product discovery is not going well, when you find yourself making these big left and right turns. Ideally, you are running close with your market, with your target user and making these micro adjustments and measuring touch points is, is one way to do that. Yeah, I like measuring touch points and then noting that it might not always be a call. It's some sort of dedicated external customer, either research, analysis, investigation, or discussion is like anything that is that will help you build better products. And this I like like setting the bar high with that as well. That's a that's a good goal to have. The most important part is it sounds like we're all talking about is just data capture, right? Like product discovery is a process around 
capturing information, collating it, and then understanding it. You know, and I think there's a point here where you don't want to try to bias that data capture and you want to be open and organic. And, you know, as leaders, we want to teach and coach people on how to do that process. But then ultimately, once you've got all that information, then you can sit down and actually make some decisions. Because what you don't want to do is go, oh my God, I got a piece of de- piece of data. Let's make a decision on that right now. I got another piece of data. No, you want to feel like you've gotten as much information as you can, that you understand the markets, that you understand the players, and then you make your strategy. Then you decide on your product. Then you make your decisions as a business. You know, and you want to be, you don't need to be perfect. You need to be directional. I think that's another piece, right? Like, Data shouldn't be finite. It shouldn't be like perfection that you're hunting. You want to hurt. You want to go for things that are directionally pointing you in the right direction. It doesn't need to be perfect. Coaching the team, deeply understanding your jobs to be done, collecting some information of your industry and the customer in the context of what your product is doing, collecting those customer touch points. What are other ways, collecting data in general as well, yeah. too, on this on this customer sense, what are <laughs> other ways that you have treated discovery in your teams? Is it just collecting this information? Is there something where it's like a clear and tangible switch in the mind to say, we've done enough and we needed to do the next thing? Or is this more continuous? Or is it a pendulum that is like a percentage swing one way or the other? How are y'all thinking of it? There's two parts. You've got to have enough information to make whatever decisions are in front of you. And that's the first part. And then I think beyond that, once you've made some decisions, you need to be constantly validating that they were the right ones. And you need to be doing that on an ongoing basis. But it's a different thing, like, because Big macro markets don't shift nearly as fast as like micro customer trends. So your macro market data might preserve for six to 12 months. You know, your micro data on a customer basis might be shifting monthly or quarterly, right? So you just got to think, you know, how do I capture one set enough to make a decision? How do I capture the next set to realize I made the right decision? Yeah. Speaking of the right decision, I think another really interesting topic to unpack when it comes to product discovery is how much product discovery is too much product discovery, right? And what I mean by that is if you get all of these learnings all the time and you do product discovery really well, you're going to have just an inundation of understanding and information. So how do you help the team make sure that your MVP is actually minimum viable product? Right. And you're, you are not building, you are not, say, over solutioning the problem at the outset because you have this such deep understanding of what the problem is. Oh, you just want to build good. this perfect yeah. product to solve all the things. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I think about sometimes. And I think it's especially relevant in a zero to one. Yeah. Why, why don't we talk about that for a little bit? Because that's a part of discovery is prototyping experimentation. Right. And like, how do you educate or help the right. teams get to that quick iterative mindset? Because we always talk about MVPs, right? Everyone has this vague understanding of what an MVP sure. is. I've seen MVPs last for two years. That doesn't, that's not an MVP. What, yeah, how do we, how do we actually encourage the PMs and our teams to say, we know the system is very intertwined. We know that it's hard to get stuff done sometimes, but that shouldn't, preclude you from learning fast and hey here's a way this is a new way that you can prototype get your idea out there quick to learn to pivot so that it's not like this you know 
quarter long investment into this huge dependent project across multiple teams to actually finally realize a result that actually is too late. How do you think about this? And that's a hard question. My bias to the team, and I like going back to one of your other questions, KG, about what's the role that I play as a leader in this context. I often find myself pushing the team to ship. Shipping is risky and you're putting something out there and there can sometimes be an over-reliance on quote-unquote safer methods of de-risking. And that is things like prototyping, designing, research, right? All very, very valuable and necessary components to a product development process. But I'm of the opinion that you will there's no better way of learning than putting something in the hands of a user. And so generally speaking, when is the soonest viable time to ship something, right? And that's going to mean that everyone's going to be very uncomfortable and people should be. If you are comfortable when it's shipping, you're probably too late. And so that to me is is generally how I handle it. It's just always- <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That feeling is very real, very right? Very like, real. Like, should I do this? Is that okay? Yes. Is that, answer is usually like yes. When you're feeling that? Yeah. And uh, you can de-risk that yeah, too, how many, right? Like we talk about uh, pilot absolutely. programs. This is why beta programs exist, right? You can de-risk the blast radius of something going wrong by controlling the audience, right? This is where you get friendlies. This is where you get consumer advocate boards. This is where you get all mm. of those concepts into play. But isn't it just another permission to go live, right? Isn't it just another excuse to put something in front of somebody? I don't know. I mean, you're right with de-risking. If you, if you build it enough where it's like super easy to manage those things, you're not, you're still not getting something in front of somebody. Right. And and if you're saying that that's the most effective way, now what is the most effective way to help them do that? Get it in front of the customers fast, yes. right? Because yes. I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but like this dependency on another team to deliver a solution sometimes, we incur this a lot, right? And I've been encouraging the thought process was, those are creative constraints. As a team, you cannot control the 80% dependency of your solution. Figure out a different solution. What is a solution you could control yeah. and have a team for yeah. and knock it out of the park? And, even, and it's what they come up with. And I've seen like amazing creativity coming yes. out of the team by just prompting them in that way. Yeah, 100%. Like how do you, especially in medium to larger organizations, how do you still preserve that sense of scrappiness? And mm. I think a lot of times... This is something that I'm still trying to unpack on and figure out how to do better. But how do you get teams comfortable with putting a product in the hands of users that you already know isn't going to be the the final or the next iteration of the product? Like it's it's almost it probably feels like I'm putting a worse product in the hands of users. But going back to what I was saying earlier, there's no better way to learn. And so we're taking, we're saying it is more valuable to get the learnings with a product I know I'm just going to go back to the, take back to the workshop and make a bunch of changes to, but there's still value in getting some learnings now with this suboptimal, hacky, imperfect product that I already know how I'm going to change. And how do you get teams comfortable think, with that, right? That's, I think that's there's the, challenge. the piece here that we need to touch on, which is scope. What's the scope of the product that we're talking about? I know, and Jake, you kind of hit on this, the blast radius, right? In my, in my opinion, when it's like people are talking about, oh, do we ship like, a, you know, where they consider a product kind of like part of a feature set and we're making a micro optimization to that product in order to do some targeted good. Like, I, I think definitely you, 
ship as fast as you can. You A-B test crap out of stuff. Like you're constantly running when you're in this like micro optimizational framework where you're trying to like get like major things out. As the scope goes up and you go, a new product is a net new thing where straight marketing to customers that may be under brand or maybe it's a new revenue feature or something of that nature. I think really taking a step back and thinking about that de-risking journey and and what it is. So obviously, right, as you're building along the way, you're testing, building, testing, building. And then I think when it kind of comes time for really launching in there, all it has to deal with is the scope of what you're dealing with. You know, microscope, yeah, you need less oversight, no, you need less headache. Macroscope, where we're going after a new market and you're getting ready to launch a product with like millions of dollars in advertising, you know, those are times to be to maybe slow down a little bit and think about it. Yeah. But I think, you know, the scope really is a big point. I think it's scope and I think it's also stage of product life cycle. I keep yeah. coming back to zero to one because I bought is doing a lot of zero to one product development right now. And if it's a brand new product that you're releasing to a market or a segment of the market, then yeah, you want to manage that. You only have one opportunity to make a first impression, right? So there's a lot more risk inherently tied to certain stages of product life cycles. If you have a mature product, that you are optimizing and iterating on, or you're releasing a new version of that product, there's already an established brand. There's an established experience. That's what I'm, I'm getting at though, like, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're going to be, are you introducing it to your existing clientele, right? And I yeah. think that's where the level of fidelity or protection needs to come into play. But if you don't, and you just try to get your product that you could come up with their own brand name with it, just see if you get traction with the concept. Yeah. And then, you know, use that as an insight into your brand. Now there's less risk. So it is de-risking that. And I think it's, you get riskier when you were saying, hey, customer of us, try our new thing out. Once you start to do that, I think that's where that, like Lou's saying, there's more fidelity. You have to be more, a little bit more, you're not thoughtful about how you're going about it. Mm -hmm. Not saying that you can't go through it, but yeah, your brand's on the line, product quality's on the line. Like you're, everything that you're putting out, like you're, it's on the line there and that, you know, that you should only be doing maybe that under validation of the yeah. former, right? Yeah. Is the testing and get, collecting that evidence. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I've thought about a lot over the last couple of years, particularly in a B2B product sense. Like if there was a fifth risk to add to Marty Kagan's four risks, it would be strategic relationship risk, right? Like you yeah. can put it in, maybe you fold it into the viability risk category, but like If you're launching a new product and you're in a B2B space where your market is like a couple dozen players, and if you screw one up, like that's major business implications. And a lot of that, a lot of that comes back to managing the relationship and managing perception and managing just that collaboration and partnership you have with some of those strategic partners. So yeah, Marty, if you're listening, fifth risk for you. Oh man, that was good. Well, let's let's wrap it up with some homework. I, I love the conversation, but what is something tangible that our listeners can take from this conversation and put into practice this week? I would say set a KPI or set a, K, a key result if you're using OKRs to measure how often you're interacting with customers. Just track it and set, set a goal. If it's 30, 40, whatever it is, 50, 100, Marty Kagan will tell you that you got to be doing that dozens of times a week, right? And you can define how you what what constitutes a client interaction or touch point, but measure it. Yeah, I'd say if you're if we're getting to product discovery, you know, sit down and make a list of all the questions and things that you would want to know about what you're doing discovery on. 
right? Ask about the macro, the micro, the internal, external, however you want to phrase it. Just write down a list of everything you want to know, then go collect that data and then make some decisions, right? Like feel like you've got enough information that you feel like, okay, I feel relatively confident that I've answered each one of my questions. Yeah, I love that. We have a, a wide range of homeworks here. This is great. One of the ones that came up to mind with that OKR measurement of the touch points, Jira product discovery, a little plug for the, the new Alassian product. They have that insights counter. So you can actually see the amount of insights that you've attached to a concept or an idea. So I love that as like a visual reminder, you know, to force yourself to think of this stuff. And then I guess the last thing I'd add to this as a leader, try to build that environment that your team can make these fast decisions. And if you see hesitation, or if you see this kind of slow to prototype, slow to collect data, there's probably uncertainty and address it by example. I, I love the learn one, do one, teach one concept. If you don't know, go learn go do it and then teach and then help your team get there in that way as well. And if it is strategic partnerships, give them ideas and how they could still move fast given the constraints that they have. And there's some some good things to take away. Well, yeah, we have uh, DSW coming up this next week. I believe when I publish this episode, this will, you know, the week, it will be the week of our DSW live event. Jake, do you have any information that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, come on down. We're doing a live recording of this podcast. We'll be talking about communicating its product teams in a hybrid environment and how the office culture has shifted over the last couple of years since the pandemic. So come join us. It'll be on Monday at one o'clock Denver time at the CBRE building. Hope to see you there. So the day this drops, man, go get there. <laughs> yeah, we have Lindsay Thrift, who has been on this podcast a number of times. We have Jody Mesa, who is the head of product at Speckit. And then Patrick Kuchkowski will be joining us. He is a product manager, senior product manager at Guild Education. So a nice crew of product leaders across the range of different types of organization. Awesome. Well, thanks again. We'll be recording that and publishing that as well. Thanks for joining us this week. Thank you all for listening and go rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And looks like we finished up our coffee. So go level up. This has been Product Coffee. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.